Morning, church. How are we doing today? You guys sound good, even from back there where I can barely hear you. What an awesome day this, this day is. Uh, my name is Michael Thomason. I am a pastor here at uh, Pinion Hills Church, and I also lead our uh, young adult, uh, Pinion Hills Young Adults, our, our young adult group here. So if you're a young adult, if you feel young, if you just want us to tell you how young you look, come hang out with us on Thursday nights, 7 p.m. I heard a lot of people like, all right, that sounds good, we're going. Uh, Thursday nights, 7 p.m., come hang with us. Uh, we have a good time on Thursday nights. Um, so, uh, oh, also, if you are new, if this is your first time here, if this is your second time here, thank you for coming. We are so excited you're here worshiping with us this morning. Uh, we hope you have an awesome time. We hope that God speaks to you through, uh, has spoken to you through worship, speaks to you through his word today. So excited that you're here. Um, now, I, a, a couple of weeks ago, I was participating in one of my favorite uh, late night pastimes. Now, some of you normal people, when you can't sleep, you read, you watch TV, you work on some chores, you get moving around to wear yourself out. No, not me. I like the finer things in life. When I'm up late and I can't sleep, I like to sit in my underwear, eat a bowl of cereal, and watch YouTube. Who's with me? <laughs> yeah! I see you all. I see you. It's, 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 it's a good thing. Uh, so I was, uh, a couple weeks ago, I was participating in this fun late night pastime. Uh, yeah, my wife's probably like, come on. Uh, she reads. She's normal. But I was, I was participating in this nighttime uh, pastime and um, uh, watching some YouTube videos, reading articles. You know how it goes late night. But I, I stumbled on an interesting study, and I love reading these things. I love reading these weird studies. I like seeing all the weird things these universities invest money in researching. I, I think it's hilarious. Uh, but sometimes I stumble on something really interesting, and, and the results of the study I found that night uh, were, were, were really fascinating. They said that one-third, one-third of, uh, of U.S. lottery winners lose their fortune within a few years. Does that blow your mind? It blew my mind. I mean, it was like midnight, but still, I was like, are you kidding me? How could you do that? How could you take such an awesome blessing? How could you take this, this pile of money that just falls in your lap and just do nothing with it and lose it within a few years? And so I got to thinking, I've got to read about these people. What is going on? What are they doing that they could lose millions of dollars essentially overnight? And, and I wanted to see, is there some kind of a pattern? Is there something they're all doing that they're losing this? What if I win the lottery? I don't want to do this. Uh, so I, I, I decided to read some of the stories of these broke lottery winners. And, and um, anyway, it was only 1 o'clock, so I figured if I read it fast, I could still get 4 or 5 hours. So I jumped in. I jumped right in, and I found a few really interesting stories. Uh, so one of the first ones I read was about a man in Pennsylvania who won $16.2 million in 1988. That's a lot of money. And uh, so he bought a restaurant. Okay, cool. Maybe he was investing it. Uh, he bought an airplane. Bold. <laughs> Good for him. I don't know if he could fly it. I, maybe he just bought it to get around the world. Uh, and then after those two investments, investments uh, is really interesting. This guy got really quiet about uh, the details of everything. He just said, I, I made some really, really, really stupid uh, financial and spending decisions. He declared bankruptcy within five years of winning $16.2 million dollars. I don't even think I could spend it that fast if I wanted to. Uh, so yeah, it blew my mind. So I, I kept reading. I'm like, all right, I got to find some more stories. This is weird. Uh, I, I read about a woman in New Jersey. She won $5.4 million in two different lottery draws. This lady won twice, 85, 86, back to back. 
And she admitted in 2012 to being completely broke due to gambling. She said all of that money, essentially all of that money was lost in Atlantic City. I, I, she'd won the lottery twice and lost it all. It was blowing my mind. I know it was late and I was getting really frustrated and I was envious, but I'm like, come on, lady, what are you doing? Uh, so I was fascinated. I was hooked. I kept reading some stories. I read about another guy who won $170.5 million in 02, the big boy, the Powerball, whatever, uh, the big one. Adding to his uh, current net worth at the time of $17 million. Why are you playing the lottery? What are you doing, man? You've got the money. You leave the winnings for someone else. Come on. Getting greedy there. Uh, so anyway, he, he, he won, and he was robbed multiple times. He was cheated by people he thought were friends. And, and this is actually the sad part. After all this, he began drinking heavily, and he lost um, most of his fortune after just a matter of a few years. It was like a curse. It was gone in no time. Uh, another couple, another uh, winning I read about was about this couple in Nevada. They won $13 million in 1990. And just 16 years later, didn't just lose it, they had to file for bankruptcy. They had gambled away most of their money, and the little bit they had left after they had got the gambling under control, they, had to, they, they lost in paying court fees and fines because they were found guilty of tax evasion. What? What? Uh, yeah, blew my mind, <laughs> and, uh, okay, um, this one's the craziest story of them all. I shouldn't be smiling. This is, this is bad, but, but honestly, this sounds like the plot of a, a dark comedy that I would watch in a heartbeat. If you got, if someone, Netflix, if you're hearing me out there somewhere, where's the cameras, uh, make this movie. This is insane. This lady in 1999 won $1.3 million and decided not to tell her husband, Mistake number one. And she divorced the guy. Ditched him. Won it. Uh, 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 ditched him. Held onto the ticket. Claimed the money after he was out of the house. Uh, can you believe that? That's insane. I was, it was blowing my mind. And so, so her, ex, her ex-husband uh, later found out. He probably found out when she bought a new house and was driving around luxury cars all of a sudden after a divorce. Uh, really hard to hide when you win $1.3 million, by the way. Don't try this. Um, so what do you think he did? He sued her. He sued her, and he was awarded every single penny of her winnings. That judge was like, nope, not cool lady. Took all of that money, gave it right to the husband. Um, <laughs> there's, there's a really messed up part of me that loved the justice of that story. That's why it makes a really awesome movie. Netflix, remember, it's a really good idea. Uh, so, uh... <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing in this lady's misery, but it's just crazy. It's wild. These stories blew my mind. And, and so after reading a few of these, and by a few, I mean way more than I should have read, I, I found the pattern. I found the pattern. I found the cause of, uh, of these lottery winners' misery, because that was the whole point of this in the beginning. And, and you guys may have seen the pattern, too. It probably took me a while. I was, I was, I was up late. But I, I realized... Not one of these lottery winners adjusted their lives to preserve or multiply their winnings. That was obvious. But I kept digging deeper. I kept reading the stories that were really interesting to me, uh, more of the details, and I found an even sadder truth, uh, one that's a little more universal. Most of these people continued living the same life after they won the lottery that they were living before they won the lottery. A lot of them didn't change a thing. 
They continued to indulge in the same addictions and vices and, and poor judgment, and a lot of those people, they got that money and they cranked it up to 11. They just went full on into it. Instead of using the blessing they received to transform their lives and transform the lives of the people around them, they abused the blessing and they only created destruction. They all had this opportunity to hit reset on their lives and create a new path for themselves. But they didn't want to get rid of the baggage they'd been carrying to that point in their life. They didn't want to stop doing the, the, the destructive things they were doing beforehand. See, last week we started this new sermon series called Reset. And, and the series is anchored in, in this key verse of uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17. We're going to read it right now. It says, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. In fact, a lot of you are wearing the bracelets that we gave out last week that, that say just that. Old is gone. New is here. And that is awesome. Awesome news. That is exciting news. That is exciting that God gives us that opportunity. So why is it that a lot of us feel uh, a little bit less than new? Why, why is it that some people feel, the, uh, they, they feel this overwhelming excitement of following Christ, but the newness of that excitement seems to wear off more quickly than they'd like it to? Why, why is it that the, that newness doesn't always seem to translate to this transformed life that we're promised in the gospel, that, that we all crave, that we all know that we want? And, and there are probably a few of you in here who haven't decided yet to fully follow Christ, and you're interested in feeling that newness. You're interested in that life transformation. You want things to change, but you have no idea what to do outside of showing up here on Sunday morning and trying to see what God has to say. But thankfully, thankfully, God has answers to those questions in his word. And, and the answers we're specifically going to look at today are in the book of Romans chapter 6. So if you have a Bible with you, if you have a Bible app, if you have some way of reading the word with you, uh, start heading to Romans chapter 6. Now, uh, the book of Romans, beautiful, awesome book, one of my favorite books in the Bible. It's actually a letter from the Apostle Paul to, uh, to the leaders of a network of home churches in Rome in the early days of Christianity. And, and this letter to the Romans, just like all of the letters that Paul writes to uh, the churches uh, uh, in the early days of the church, uh, they were written to address the problems and needs of local churches at the time. And, and this letter to the Romans has such an influence on the church, even today, because of how well it explains the salvation we can receive through Jesus Christ. If you've read the story of Jesus in the Gospels and you haven't yet read Romans, read it. It's fascinating. It's intriguing. It's difficult. It's challenging. And it's so well written. Go check it out. Go do it this week. Uh, it's one of the longer epistles, but it's not a long book. Go check it out. But like I said, specifically, we're going to be in Romans chapter 6, where Paul is talking about what a new life in Christ looks like. And we're going to start right at verse 1. Uh, Paul says, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? I'm going to stop right there, because that is an interesting question. That is a loaded question, right? Uh, think, about, think about what Paul is saying here. He says, Christ died to forgive us of our sins, so should we be okay with the sin in our lives now because God's grace is bigger than those sins? Should we be okay with that? It might seem like a strange or even silly question, but seriously, it's a question we all have to answer, and there are two different ways to understand this. 
that's the beauty of the book of Romans. You can read something, and there's two or three or four different ways to look at it. But there's two ways in this one. Uh, the first we can interpret Paul's question, uh, the first way anyway, is in a deep, more philosophical, theological way. Is it not such a big deal to sin because Jesus already conquered sin on the cross? Is sin now inconsequential because the enormity of grace God has shown us? Or we can read it in a more personal uh, way, a more personal interpretation, in a way that makes us, uh, or forces us really to be introspective and to make a big decision. We can read it as, are we willing to give up our old selves, our old way of life, for the life that Jesus is offering us? Is that sacrifice worth making? That's what Paul's asking here. And so let's see what Paul has to say about it. We're going to jump back in. We're going to read verse 1 again and keep on. It says, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died in sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. Paul didn't let that question sit too long, did he? He wasn't the master of suspense here. Uh, He wasn't trying to let you do that. Uh, Very quickly, right after he asks this question, he answers very clearly, absolutely not. Why would we continue to live in sin when Jesus already defeated sin through his death and resurrection? Why would we do that? If that victory uh, over sin extends to us through Christ, why would we still live there? I want to give a couple of examples to put it into perspective. If a prisoner is released from captivity, does it make sense for them to continue living in their cell? Or is that foolish? If somebody has an opportunity to to, to get away from, to escape from an abusive relationship, would they continue to live with their abuser, or is that dangerous? Once a person has been liberated from an unhappy situation, it makes no sense to keep living in that situation. So if Christ has liberated us from the death grip of sin, why in the world wouldn't we remove ourselves from that life of sin? And then Paul continues. We're going to jump to verse 12. He says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. What Paul's saying here is, is that if If you allow sin to continue to reign in your life, that sin is what you are destined to obey. If you continue down that path, Paul is saying you're destined to be a weapon for unrighteousness, a weapon for wickedness, whether you're a willing participant or you think you are or not. Instead, Paul says, you walk in newness of life, offer yourself to God, and become a weapon for righteousness, a weapon for good. And how cool does that sound? A weapon for righteousness? That sounds awesome. That, like, I, I hear that. It pumps me up. I feel like one of those he-men from like 80s movies. Weapon for righteousness. That should be on a t-shirt, right? It should. It should be on a t-shirt. 
Every one of you, okay, when Pastor Matt gets back, tell him we need that t-shirt in the bookstore. Tell him, don't tell him I told you. Uh, we're going to do this. I'm going to buy the first one. It's going to be the most awesome t-shirt we've ever made. Let's do this. It's a movement. Just kidding. Uh, but really. Anyway, uh, we can design t-shirts later. I could do that all day. But uh, let's get back into the scripture here. What Paul is providing here to the Romans at the time and providing to us today, because thank God we have access to this letter. We get to read it. We get to, we get to live off the wisdom that he was offering to the early church, and we can live by it today. And it's all still true. What he was showing to the Romans, and he's showing us now, is a roadmap for our new life in Christ. A roadmap to the life that God wants for us after we give our lives to him. And here's a quick summary of that roadmap. Step one, turn away from your sin. Stop doing things, stop thinking thoughts that will destroy you and others. Stop indulging in the things that put a wedge between you and God. Stop. Step two, live a different life. Don't just avoid the things that tempt you, but turn away from them and head the other direction. Head in a new transformative direction. And step three, let God work through you in awesome ways. Ask him to use you to make a difference for him and his kingdom. Ask him to use you to help others. Ask him to use every part of you as weapons for righteousness. Turn away from sin. Live a different life. Let God work through you. Turn away from sin. Live a different life. Let God work through you. Conceptually, it's easy, right? Three steps. We like three steps. That's a nice round number. And it makes sense to us. But, but I think we all know that to actually live it out every single day, every single minute, it's difficult, right? Because some of us have been so entrenched in our sin that it, it feels like climbing out of it is near impossible. Uh, and, and some of us don't know how to escape uh, temptation around us when, when it's around every corner, when it's just a few taps away on your phone. And as much as I love my city and as much as I love the Four Corners area, there are so many temptations, so many opportunities to indulge in stupid behaviors all around us. It may seem like walking through a minefield to just not screw up. And it doesn't help that we live in a culture that instead of encouraging us to, to move in the right direction, it actually celebrates the things that God tells us are not good, the things that God tells us will lead us down a bad path. And I've heard these same sentiments time and time and time again working at the church. I've worked with and I've talked to students and young adults just as their lives are beginning, just as they're heading into adulthood, who feel so stuck in this cycle of temptation and sin that they don't feel like they can forge a way forward out of it. And I've met with young couples who, who want to honor God. They want to get married. They want to start a family. They want to make something good. But they have a past so filled with pornography addiction, with trauma, with substance abuse, that they don't even know if they can make a marriage work, let alone make it go all the way. If we let it, sin can have a powerful hold on us. And that's why Paul says later in the same chapter we're reading, at verse 15, he says, What then? Should we sin because we are not under the law but grace? Absolutely not. Do you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that one you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But thank God that although you used to be slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching which you were handed over and have been set free from sin to become, uh, you became enslaved to righteousness. 
Paul is saying that, that the reason sin is such a hard thing to tackle is because it is so oppressive. When we lose ourselves in sin, it's like taking a chain, wrapping it around our waist, taking the other end and wrapping around our temptations and our desires and, and the things that distract us. And, and at that point, whether you think you're a willing participant or not, you've given yourself to the whims of your temptation. And, and I know, I know, that's the reason it's so dangerous to treat God's grace in such a carefree way. You can't just say that God's grace is powerful enough to forgive you of your sins, which is true. It's absolutely true. There's nothing you've done in your past that God's grace doesn't have the power to overcome. But you can't say that and then turn around and give yourself permission to give into a temptation. And I know people do this because I've done it. We've all done it. You, you, you tell yourself, I know this is wrong, and for some reason you turn around and you do that wrong thing anyway, and, and, and you, you excuse it. You just say, it's okay. Uh, God's going to forgive me. I, I know God. I'm a Christian. Um, it, it's, it's not a big deal. He forgives it. His grace is big. Yada, yada, yada. Whatever. But here's the thing. That's an abuse of grace. That's taking something beautiful. That's taking the greatest gift you're ever going to receive and, and, and twisting it and using it for your temporary satisfaction. And that's not what God wants us to do with the grace he's given us. He didn't give us the greatest gift in the world to turn around and just use it for our, for our own kicks. Yes. I, I want to make sure, if, if you don't understand anything when you leave out of here, you understand this. Christ's death on the cross and the gift of God's grace are infinitely more powerful than sin and the death that sin produces. And if you've declared God as your king and you've declared Jesus of your savior and you've asked him to forgive you of your sins, you will definitely experience his presence in heaven when you die. Is that good news? Your past performance alone will not prevent you from having a relationship with God and spending an eternity in heaven if you don't let it. But if you don't remove that chain from your sin and attach it to God's righteousness, you are going to be a servant to your thoughts and your desires until the day you die. And like I said, that's not what God wants for you. He, 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 he doesn't only care about your eternity with him, even though that's, that, that's immensely important. He cares about your life now, and he wants something better than that for you. What God wants for you to do is to free yourself from the oppression of sin and live in the liberation of his righteousness, because even though sin oppresses, God's righteousness liberates. We don't have to be held down by our temptations and desires. We can ask God to give us the power to overcome those things and live a life more in line with what God wants for us. A life of freedom from our desires, a, a, a life of newness, a life of purpose, a life of excitement, a life of consequence. We can literally, through God's grace, hit the reset button and start a new life of our own anytime we want. Then we can put all the lies, we can put all the anger, we can put all the addictions, whatever it is that's holding us back, we can put it behind us to be transformed into something new. And even better than that, we can start taking those sins and, and, and flaws and, and ditching them and replacing them with qualities uh, that, 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 are, uh, that make us better, with qualities that allow us to love and serve people around us better. Now, I know the process isn't automatic. 
Uh, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes discipline. It, it takes desiring God. It takes desiring God and what he has in store for you um, more than you desire that feeling of satisfaction and, and, and false happiness you get when you sin. You've got to want God more. You've got to want that life more. But with discipline, with prayer, by, by studying God's word, by surrounding yourself with other Christians like we do when we come here on Sundays, God can make something beautiful out of the mess that we all have the potential to make in our lives. I don't care what it is. In the book of Ephesians, Paul writes this. Ephesians 4, chapter, or, uh, chapter 4, verse 25, says, Therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, and don't give the devil an opportunity. Let the thief no longer steal, and said, Instead, he is to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You are sealed by him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Now that sounds intense, but this is actually where, where the, the Christian walk gets really, really fun. This is where you start to see how God's work in you flows out to your day-to-day in the world around you. This is the point in your life where, where you're out and you're about, and people start seeing a difference in your life. They start saying, hey, he's changed. She's changed. There's something different about them. Because when God's goodness takes hold and it, and it frees you from your sin, that's when you start to see and feel renewal, not just in how you think and how you feel, but how you interact with the world and the people around you. Life is different. Life's not different just because of how you feel and things you're saying. Life is different because it literally changes your surroundings because liberation from sin leads to renewal. It's not just enough to will yourself out of temptation. It's not just enough to say you're done with your old life. The Bible makes it clear that none of us can, can, can do that on our own. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing about human nature. When we get rid of one bad habit and we don't replace it with something good, what happens? We, we either go right back to it or we create a new one. We, we get so focused on what it is we're doing and knowing that what that thing is is not good for us that we simply just try to get rid of that from our lives. There's going to be something there to fill it. There's always going to be something you can do. There's always something wrong that you can start doing to fill its place. You have to take those things, those qualities, those hang-ups, and ask God to replace them, not just remove them, but replace them with good, virtuous qualities. You have to remove the unrighteous parts of your life and replace them with righteousness with goodness. And so, uh, like, like that scripture in Ephesians says, that means you have to stop lying and be a woman or man of your word. Stop destroying things and stop destroying relationships with your anger and instead get control of your anger before the devil takes hold and, and, and makes you do something silly. Stop stealing and cheating to get what you want. 
Start earning what you have. Start creating things with the gifts God gave you. And, and when you're rewarded for that, don't get, attached, don't get attached to the compensation. Use it to bless other people. Use it to, 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 to serve God, to give back to God. And stop using your words to, this is a big one for me, stop using your words to hurt or destroy or even just create drama. As fun as that is, start using them to build people up. Sometimes we, 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 that one is just so easy to do because sometimes it's fun. So you're sitting around, I'm a guy, you're sitting around with the guys, it's really fun to cut each other down, to make jokes, all that stuff. And admittedly, there's probably a time or place for that. But look at your life when you're doing that versus your life when you start using your words to build people up, to encourage one another, to be better people, to be better followers of Christ. That's transformation. Take the bitterness and the anger and the foulness you once had and replace them with kindness and compassion and faithfulness. It's part of what the reset is all about. It's, it's not about thought and behavior modification. Again, you can't do it alone. It's not about striving to be a good person because, shocker, we're not. We're not good people. We can be through Christ, but we're not a good person. It's about molding you into someone more like Jesus. Not about being a good person on your own, but looking more like him. It's about living a life of joy and influence and consequence. And I'm not promising you that the world's going to turn into a, 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 the perfect world, into your utopia. There are circumstances in your life that will still remain out of your control. There are people in your life that are still going to be the same people they were before you decided to hit reset for yourself. You're still going to be jerks. You're still going to have that coworker you can't stand. You're still going to have that family member that you disagree with. And you're still going to hurt sometimes. And the people you love are still going to hurt sometimes. And you're going to lose loved ones. And, and, and people are still going to do and say awful things to you and the people that you care about. Tragedy is still going to exist. You're still going to turn on the news and, and, and it's going to be depressing. That's the thing. But instead uh, uh, of taking that emotion from those experiencing those things and running into your old vices trying to get temporary comfort, you can instead run into the arms of God. You can go the only place you're going to go to get the strength to get through it. And God may even, if you're faithful enough, start removing the people from your life that are bringing you down and start replacing them with people who want to help you. Like we have here this morning. And God, if you ask him, can even use you to be a helper. He can use you to be a comforter. He can use you to encourage others to turn to him when they feel so lost uh, to, he can encourage you to, he, he can work through you to make a difference in your family, in your community, in your world, to play an active role in advancing the kingdom of God here on earth. Because here's the reality, and here's the truth you got to realize. You do not have to wait till the day you die to see the kingdom of God and get a glimpse of his glory. You can participate in it now on earth. You just have to ask God to work through you. Because remember what we read earlier, Romans, Romans 6.13, it said, And do not offer any parts of it to sin, that is your body, uh, do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness, but as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. God can equip you with weapons for righteousness to transform you into a weapon for righteousness. And when you're ready 
to use the gift of God's grace and renewal of your life, and you want to use it to serve God, and you want to use it to uh, be a blessing to other people around you, there is no circumstance, no situation, no screw-up, no flaw in the world or in your past that can keep you from doing it. So don't let it. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Instead, as God's ministers, we commend ourselves in everything by great endurance, by afflictions, by hardships, by difficulties, by beatings, by imprisonments, by riots, by labors, by sleepless nights, by times of hunger, by purity, by knowledge, by patience, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, through weapons of righteousness for the right hand and left. God wants to help you get to a point where no difficult situation or circumstance will knock you back into your old life. He wants to transform you to prepare you to respond to whatever life throws at you with hope and faithfulness and joy because God's renewal equips us for combat. Now, when I say combat, I I do not mean physical altercation. I do not mean all-out war. So sit down, tough guy. Calm down, Chuck Norris. That's not what we're talking about. What I'm saying is that when we are ready to put our old lives behind us and when we're ready to live a life of renewal and we pursue God wholeheartedly, God will begin to equip us to not only endure the difficulties of life without relying on our old way of doing things, but to start making uh, a difference in spite of those difficulties, and sometimes making a difference with the experience of those difficulties. We we can start to set aside our weapons for unrighteousness and replace them with weapons for righteousness. And, and, And sometimes that's not a complete swap out. Sometimes it's a modification. We can use the mistakes of our past to serve God and to help others right now. It's not something we have to hide or put in a closet or be ashamed of. There's no shame in that. God's grace is more powerful than that. But You can use those mistakes of your past. You can use the pains of your past and serve God's kingdom with that experience, with the things you've learned from that. You can start producing good in the world out of the ashes of the destruction you caused in your past. How awesome is that? Matt shared a story with us last week. Pastor Matt of Brent and Ashley Walker. There were a couple who who just with a picture of, of themselves online Uh, just created a wave of change in the world. They were ex-meth addicts and and one day decided they were not going to live that life anymore. They were going to hit reset and they were going to move on and do something good. And they shared a picture of themselves while they were using and they shared a picture of themselves now. And it is a night and day difference. If you didn't see the full interview, if you didn't see the message last week, go to our website, phcc.church. Go to the resources tab. The video is right there. It's amazing. Instead of taking their past and being ashamed of it and hiding from it, they took the experiences of that past to go and make a difference and tell people there's hope. You can get out of this. There's a way forward. You can use those hurts and those pains from your past and make a difference and help other people and serve God in the process. Maybe your past is filled with substance abuse. Maybe you understand the story of the walkers. Don't just be ashamed of it. Don't just hide it. Use it to help others who are still struggling with addiction. We have an awesome ministry here on Tuesday nights called Celebrate Recovery, 6.30 p.m., Student Center. 
if you're still struggling with addiction, and not even just addiction, if you're still struggling with addiction, anxiety, depression, codependence, uh, everything, every hurt, habit, hang-up you could imagine, that's a place for you. And if you've gotten to a place where you're, you're, you're achieving victory over that thing, they need people who are in there encouraging people who are still in the midst of that to move on, to provide hope for the people that are there. Go serve. Use, use your past to help people struggling with a similar situation. Maybe you've struggled with unhealthy sexual desires or pornography. Again, Celebrate Recovery is a great place for you, but there, is a, there are tons of people out there that need to know there's a hope of getting through that and moving on to a life without it. A lot more people than you realize. Maybe in your past you've lied or cheated or stolen to lift yourself up. Lift others up with truth, with kindness, with compassion. Maybe you've struggled with unhealthy sexual desires or pornography or help people out with that. Maybe you've wrestled with insecurity or codependence. Stop sitting in that insecurity. Stop hiding that. Build others up and let them know how much they mean to God and that they're important and that they're loved. If you heard that message yourself and you believed it, wouldn't you want everyone else to hear it too? And in addition to using the experiences of our past, God has given us all unique uh, gifts and talents and passions and creativity. Don't just sit on those things and let them turn to dust. Don't just use those things to make your life better. Use them to serve God. Use them to help other people. Make the world a better place around you. Move God's kingdom here on earth now. Don't wait till you die. No matter where you are in your life now or whatever you've been through, God is giving you the opportunity to reset the trajectory of your life and to focus toward him. And in doing so, you can experience that newness and that transformation we all crave. It's not just about getting out of a bad situation. It's about jumping feet first directly into an awesome, transformative life. And we have a few ways you can do that at the church. One of these ways is through our next steps. If you've got a smartphone, you can text 505-412-4880 and let us know what your next step is. Uh, there's a code for everything. If, if you're brand new here, this is one of the first times you've heard about the message of Christ. You want that grace. You want forgiveness of your sins. You don't want to live the life that you've been living, and you want to move on to something bigger and better now. And you're ready to get to know Christ? There's a code for that. Text it. If you're ready to take that next step in your life and start replacing those, those bad things with good things, the unrighteousness with righteousness, you're ready to get baptized, you're ready to learn about the church, you're ready to join a life group, you're ready to take that next step. We've got codes for that. Text it. If you're already doing that and you want to take it a step further and you want to start using your gifts and your talents to serve, you want to start using the things that God has blessed you with and give it back to the church, give it back to God, give it back to your community, there's a code for that. And if you don't want to mess with your phone and, and you're not quick enough, we've got a card right here. It's in your bulletin right when you walked in. Fill it out. If you don't have time to text the code really fast, take a picture of it now. You're not going to offend me. Get a picture of it right now because there's next steps you can be taking. taking. And, and, and if you don't want to, to, to wait to send that code or you don't want to wait for that response, send it anyway. 
but we also have a prayer team that's here ready to meet with you. Whether you want to know Christ for the first time, or, or you want your life to look transformed, or life doesn't feel new and you're ready for it to feel new again, whatever it is, if you're ready to hit that reset wherever you are in your life, we have an awesome prayer team up here. They would love to meet you. They'd love to pray with you. They want to guide you through that next step because that's what we're here for. Walk in newness of life so you can become God's weapon for good. Let's pray. Father, we we come to you today just so thankful for for your sacrifice, your death on the cross, your, your victory over sin and death. And God, we thank you that you allow us to be a part of that, that our pasts do not have determine, to determine our future, and that not only that, we can use our past to make a difference in the lives of people around us today. God, I just pray that any of us that are, that are sitting on the, on the edge, we're hesitant to take that next step, we're hesitant to hit the reset button, God, that you would give us boldness and you'd give us courage to do that, to jump in feet first, God, into what you have for us. And God, we, we thank you that You give us the opportunity to live transformed lives in spite of what we've done. That you give us an opportunity to bring your kingdom here on earth today instead of waiting until we die. God, we thank you for that. And we thank you for this church to come here and and to read about your wisdom and to encourage one another, God. And I just pray that, that as we go on with our day, as we go on with our weeks, that you constantly remind us that at any point we can hit reset and we can live a life more in line with what you want for us. God, we thank you for that. We we praise you and, and we pray that we honor you in that truth. In Jesus' name, amen.